Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. Where, in every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will too. Today, I'm going to read Cadwell Turnbull's story, Jump, which was first published in Lightspeed magazine and selected for the year's Best Science Fiction and Fantasy 2019. Cadwell's short stories have been published in The Verge, Lightspeed, Nightmare, and Asimov's Science Fiction, and he just published his debut novel called The Lesson, which is a first contact story set in his parents' island home of St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands, um, the Caribbean being one of my favorite places on the planet. His story, Jump, is about an ordinary couple who experience an extraordinary event. And they are completely broadsided by said event. You know, I I think sometimes we daydream about what it would be like if something magical or miraculous happened to us. And maybe we even spend some time thinking about why it might happen. But here's the thing that I think about. What comes after? I mean, how does that event change your life every day? from that day forward. So, if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. And begin. Jump by Cadwell Turnbull. Mike and Jesse were walking in the park. The trees high above their heads stretched to touch each other, their leaves letting only the tiniest slivers of light through. Mike watched the freckles of light spot Jesse's brown face, her shirt, her arms. He tried to snub them out with his fingers. It was a long day for them. They'd spent a few hours walking around the park just talking about old dreams and new ones, black riots 
and urban decay, the secrets of their hearts, and the mysteries of the universe. The time Mike introduced himself through a mutual friend and his palms were so clammy that Jesse knew immediately how nervous he was. They always talked a lot. Mike was amazed that they always found something to say. It was a little less than two years, but he thought once grad school was over, he would ask. He thought she'd say yes. They made another lap around the park. By the time they decided they needed to walk back home, a full 45 minutes away, they were way too tired to make the journey. They considered a cab, but Mike had a better idea. Why don't we teleport? He asked. (laughs) What now? She laughed. She was giving him that smile she gave him when he was talking crazy that would spread across her face, her eyes wide, her brows raised in steep arches. Hold my hand, he said. And he didn't wait. He grabbed her hand himself. We can do it. What makes you think we can teleport? She asked. I believe, he said simply. She laughed at him again. (laughs) You're crazy. Mike didn't know how far he was going to take this, but it was Jesse, and he didn't worry about seeming silly. Close your eyes and picture home, he said. On the count of three, we will jump forward and we will be there. He looked at Jessie, and sure enough, she closed her eyes. She was smiling, and he wished he could read her thoughts. But that was another power entirely. One, he said. He tightened his grip on her hand. Two, he felt a warmth in his stomach. His knees were bent. He was extra aware of the grass beneath his feet. Three, He leapt, and he felt Jesse leap with him. Their bodies synchronized. They were in the air for no more than two seconds, and when they landed, their feet hitting the ground at the same time, there wasn't the familiar soft crunch of grass. There was the hard thump of their feet against pavement. When they opened their eyes, they realized they were home. Jessie looks back on the day often. She remembers how weak her knees felt once they had made the jump. He had to hold her up to keep her from toppling over. She remembers his face, the flashes of abject terror, and then euphoria. And she remembers the warmth in her belly, like she was glowing from the inside. She remembers her neighbor Greg from 34C, halfway up the stairs to their apartment building when they arrived out of nowhere. Oh, I didn't see you two there, he said, turning when he heard Mike's joyous scream. Everything okay? He looked from Mike to her to Mike again. (laughs) Holy shit, Mike said as if in answer, and then more screams. Jessie's sitting on the couch reliving the moment, her legs pressed under her, an open book in her lap. Mike walks into the room. 
we should try again, he says. Jesse glares at him. If Jesse agrees, this will be the 20th time they've tried. They have all been failures. Mike keeps a calendar where he crosses off the days since it happened. Many markers are spent in the attempt to keep a record. The markers start out strong with vibrant, confident lines, and then they sputter and falter, and only the blood-crawling squeak against the paper remains. Mike tries many colors, blue, red, green, magenta. The ink runs out of all of them. And still, no jump. The first dozen attempts are at the park, trying to find the right spot, wearing the right clothes. Jesse must always be on the right side. They try time of day. It must always be late afternoon. They try the weather. The day must be cool and clear. Mike recites the exact words to himself. He writes it down. He puts the words next to the calendar on the wall. He remembers Jesse's words, too. It must all be perfect. They go back to the park and relive the experience word for word. When they do this, they sound like actors reciting lines. Why don't we teleport? Mike asks. Jessie rolls her eyes. What now? She asks, and the laugh is hollow, mocking. You're not trying. You, you have to really try. Jesus, Mike. Now we have to start over. Soon after that, Jesse refuses to go back to the park. But Mike keeps asking to try in other places, at home, when they go out to restaurants, at the movies. Jesse obliges, but each time her shoulders slump a little lower. She hates it. She hates it so much. You're killing me, she says. Why does this matter so much? Why wouldn't it matter, Mike says. What would matter more? A day later, he asks her again, and she almost throws a book at him, pulling back at the last moment. Leave it alone, Mike. Can't you just leave it alone? Sometimes, Mike wonders if he imagined it. But it can't be. Jesse was there. He gets so suspicious of the whole thing that he starts to wonder if even Jesse is a figment of his imagination. When his friend Alex comes over for dinner, Mike tries to confirm his suspicions while Jesse is in the kitchen. I'm married to a woman about this high, right? Light brown eyes, dark skin, can be a little judgy sometimes. He says the last part a little softer than the rest. Alex just looks at him. Mike waits for an answer, the cold doubt creeping up his spine. Th that was a great dinner, Jay, Alex says, looking past Mike. Then he looks back at Mike and points at him with his fork. You fucked up. Mike turns and sees his wife. He has no idea how long she's been standing there, but she makes a face he has come to know well, and he knows that she knows that this 
is about to jump again. You're welcome, Alex, she says, and then leaves the dining room. It isn't that Jessie doesn't care about the jump. She just sees it differently than Mike. This thing wasn't supposed to happen. It was an accident of the universe. To want it to happen more than once in one life is crazy, isn't it? What would be the odds? And why would you need it to happen again? How practical is teleporting if you can't predict it? It's a silly thing, really. A silly little thing. Yet, Jessie still looks back on the day in amazement. Sometimes, in rare moments, she relives it. It is special because of its elusiveness. Because it doesn't explain itself. For her, it is damn near divine. And she finds it empowering to have experienced it. She is of a small order who knows a secret. She and Mike have glimpsed behind a curtain. They have precious knowledge. Shouldn't it bring them closer together? She tries to talk to him about her thoughts, but it seems to just excite him in an unhealthy obsession. We should keep trying, then. Try to master it. No, she says. And it isn't a rebuttal of the idea itself. She just doesn't want to master it. She likes it where it is, something distant to look at only when needed. She doesn't want it to be her life. It is just a jump, a beautiful jump, yes, but it doesn't deserve worship. Worship ruins all the best things. Mike wants to tell everyone. He thinks about telling his friend, Alex, yo, I teleported. <laughs> hey man, once with Jesse, I jumped from the park <laughs> straight to my house. Al, you remember that movie about teleportation you hated? Jumper, was it? Yeah? Well, me and Jesse, we did that. But it never sounds right. He thinks about telling people on the street. He thinks about just screaming it from the window of their apartment. I teleported! He did try that once. So what? A neighbor yelled back. Well, he said, but he couldn't think of a good answer. Then a day comes when Mike walks into his room and the calendar has been taken down. He looks around and he finds it in the trash bin next to his work desk. You threw my calendar away? He asks Jesse a moment later. Jesse is reading a book on the couch, her legs folded under her. She looks up at him and he can feel what's coming. Stop counting, she says. I'm tired of you counting. Weeks later, she walks in on him standing in the middle of the bedroom. His knees are bent, his arms in front of him like he's getting ready to box. His hands are bunched into fists. His face is full of lines, scrunched up in deliberate concentration. 
What are you doing? She asks. He looks at her embarrassed. Nothing, he says. Yeah, she says. Right. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. And every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire. Michelle Obama, to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Because stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley. For the love of home. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams. Now celebrating 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams is the originator of everyone's favorite Lux Home Blanket. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Dressing head-to-toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort, as its ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are each made with premium materials. Get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code PODCAST15. Now, let's get back to our story. Mike believes he has a lot to be angry about. Jessie doesn't care about the things that matter to him. She doesn't try to understand where he is coming from, how much he needs the calendars, and the hope. Sometimes he wonders why he stayed. This is a big question for most couples, but it is an even bigger question for Mike. He wonders if it is because of the jump or because of the love. He knows he loves her. This has never changed over all the years and the fights and the makeups. But he keeps thinking maybe he stayed because she was there when the miracle happened. 
Maybe, he hopes, that if the miracle happens again, it will all be worth it. The years, the fights, the makeups. Love doesn't always keep you where you're supposed to be, but the miracle might have. Maybe all that's left is the miracle. This thought scares him. Why does it even matter so much? He doesn't know. But he feels it every day. He comes home from work and he thinks of the jump. He is chilling with friends and the jump pops in and out of his consciousness. He is holding his wife and the jump is there, hanging in front of his eyes like an existential carrot he cannot reach. He looks at his life And there is the jump, an island unto itself, surrounded by an ocean of monotony. Even when he is in a big moment, on the crest of some big wave, he can look out and see the island, and it calls to him. But he knows he cannot get there. And it laughs at him, vicious, searing laughter. I'll make it up to you, Mike says. He has forgotten their anniversary again. Sure you will, she says. It's not that she cares so much about these things. She is not that kind of sentimental. It is the fact that for years, Mike has religiously crossed off each day on the calendar. Mike's hand is on her chest, right above her breasts, He follows the rise and fall of each breath, his hand light on her skin. I'm sorry, he says. Jessie's pissed. Why, she thinks. Because you've let this thing get so big that there isn't any room for anything else? This stupid little thing? But then she thinks there is something deeper in his apology beyond the forgetting. She thinks that he is saying sorry for many things, for all he has ever done that can't be undone. She doesn't know if she is right. So many things go unsaid between them. But more importantly, she doesn't want the truth to ruin the joy she feels in this moment. This moment that she believes that Mike is better than he actually is. Because reality is arbitrary. Because it doesn't matter as much as the feeling. And she doesn't have enough good feelings to let one slip away. She tries to sleep, but Mike's hand feels heavy on her chest now. It is hard to sleep under so much weight. Under this nagging feeling at the edge of her consciousness that this is the rest of their lives. Dancing around this little thing, forever just out of reach, pulling at them. They've been married for four years, and she is already breaking. What will be left of her after four decades? It will always need to be fed even when they are both trying to ignore that it's there. Because these things take up too much space. There is no equivalency. No end to the feeding 
of these little monsters. Jessie takes Mike's hand off of her chest and turns away from him. I said I was sorry, he says. I will make it up to you. I promise. But Jessie says nothing. Her breathing is the only thing punctuating this silence. This silence at the end of things. Jessie is thinking of leaving. Mike knows this. There are so many regrets. But it is too late for regrets. He is thinking of the jump even now, but it is swirled in there with the guilt. All the things he was unable to do for Jesse. The man he was unable to be. He still wants it, but now he wishes he could close his eyes and zero in on that want with his mind and send it off to some distant planet where it cannot hurt them anymore. But that seems even more impossible than that day so long ago. In the end, if Jesse leaves, there will be nothing but the jump, and he doesn't want to be alone with it. It will destroy him. The old cliché of the light at the end of the tunnel. Mike laughs at it now. It is a fiction. There is light where he is. It is dim. It continues to dim. But there is no light ahead of him. All he sees is darkness. Two months after Mike and Jesse split, he returns to the apartment to pick up a stack of books Jesse decided were his and an old fedora he'd left behind. These are the final remnants of their shared world, the last excuse for them to see each other. Never again. Jesse meets Mike at the door, looks him up and down. He has dark circles under his eyes. He hasn't cut his hair in weeks, it seems. A matted and unkempt beard covers the lower half of his face. Let's do it again, Mike says. What? Jesse looks at him for a long time. The question is rhetorical. She's heard him. She just hasn't decided what she will do. One last time. For the road. Mike waits for her to reject his offer, or get angry, or roll her eyes at him, or slam the door in his face. But she doesn't do any of that. Okay, she says. Okay, he says, surprised and relieved. Okay, close your eyes and picture home. She closes her eyes. This is the last time ever, she tells herself. A goodbye gift in honor of the thing that destroyed their lives. But even as she is thinking this, she can feel something frozen inside, thawing against her will. He believes then that she still trusts him, a trust he thought she had thrown away. And this gives him all the strength he needs to try again. 
he reaches out and grabs her hand. One, he says. He holds her hand tighter. Jessie can feel all the hope in this grasp, all the want, and she surprises herself by responding, gripping his hand tighter as well. This shocks Mike, and he feels his stomach tighten. Two, he says. They gasp aloud. This time feels different somehow. They can feel their hands merging. They feel the combination of all the times they tried and failed and all the times they were too scared or too angry to try. They feel their collective moments, a vibrating corporeality that squeezes tight around them, pulsing. They feel the release of the Earth's gravity. There is nothing to hold on to, nothing but each other. And it is perfect. It feels right. They can feel the hope of something beyond what they know. They can feel the universe as a solid, living thing, calling to them, urging them forward. They say the last part together. Jesse's voice unusually powerful, Mike as loud as a trumpet blasting over an ocean of years. Three! When I read this story, I am reminded of my own tendency in the world to indulge in magical thinking, you know? Um, Especially in times like these when I figure... Jeez, this is so screwed up. What we need is a deus ex machina. We need some hand of God, right, to reach in and fix all of this. It's foobar, right? Beyond all repair. So we need an intervention, right? We need, I don't know, we need a savior. We need the aliens to come and, you know, teach us that, We're all one species. You know, we need some external force to smack us across the face and get us to act right as human beings. But there is no one coming for us. It is us. This is our job. Um, I talk to kids these days and, you know, they they are definitely worried about their future. And I get it. I get it. We are leaving a real mess Um, for the next generation to clean up. I'm not proud of it at all. Uh, In fact, it it makes me very sad. But there you have it. Um, We are the ones we've been waiting for, my friend Olivia Barham always says. We are the ones we've been waiting to come and save us. It's time to strap up, y'all. Really. Life is not a spectator sport. You cannot change the world sitting on your couch. It is important and imperative that we all stand up, roll up our sleeves, and engage in the business of not just this democracy, but life. 
we have to remember why we're here. And believe me, the answer isn't money. We didn't take these bodies simply to make money or to make money the most important thing in life. People are still the most important thing in this world. And we would really do well to remember that. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is the best in the business, Julia Smith, with associate producer credits going to Kristen Torres. Our editing and sound design by Brendan Burns, who knew the kid was so talented. My thanks to Cadwell Turnbull for allowing me to read his story today. For more of Cadwell's writing, check out his debut novel, The Lesson, about a community in the Virgin Islands that struggles with occupation by an alien species. He's also at work on his second novel, No Gods, No Monsters. You can visit Cadwell Turnbull at cadwellturnbull.com. And, hey, can I suggest something to you all? If you like the show, I'm thinking you may know someone else who might enjoy it. So why not recommend an episode to a friend? And while you're at it, why not also leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts? And why not include a story suggestion for us? We read them and we use them. We'll be back next week with another hand-picked story and also exclusive bonus author interviews all on Stitcher Premium. Each story goes up one week early and it's ad-free. Just go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar or... If you're listening in Stitcher, just tap the menu button in your app and select Premium for one month free. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our supervising producer is Josephine Marjorana. Our executive producers are Chris C.D. Bannon and yours truly, LeVar Burton. I'm LeVar Burton, and you can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. Still waiting for that guy to give me my name back. I'll stop complaining and see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.